This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Ashley Ainsley is the co-founder of Colour in Tech and the Black Tech Fest, a fascinating organisation around increasing access, awareness and opportunities to underrepresented groups in the technology industry. You may have heard of one or two of their clients, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, DeepMind, JP Morgan, Box, TikTok, WPP, just go down the list of some of the biggest companies in the world. He studies geography at Oxford before going to Google and Quibit. Uh, he works then with KPMG, and then he realizes, hang on a minute, there aren't that many black people here, or any people of color for that matter. So that leads him on a journey to meet his co-founder, and then they together start addressing some of these issues. We go really deep into the weeds about what those issues actually are and what can be done and the progress that's been made. And he says that talent is out there. He says it's the access to opportunity that's the problem because he knows that there are many people just as equally talented as he is, but they just never got the opportunity. On diversity and inclusion, he says that one of the things that he knows now is that there are more active allies than he assumed that there would be at the beginning of his career. A lot of people have imposter syndrome, but he says that because of his difference, so many people want him to succeed, want to hear his voice, and want to see him. Um, and we felt that overwhelming support in no small part, I think, because of our diversity at, at Agency Dealmasters. This is just one of the most important and interesting conversations that we've ever had on the podcast. Ashley is super engaging, scary smart, but down to earth at the same time, tremendously insightful. I, I'm just glad that we were able to talk and connect about some of the important work that he's doing. If you're even remotely interested in anything to do with diversity, belonging, technology, startups, and just making the world a slightly better place, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Ashley Ainsley. Ashley Ainsley is the co-founder of Colour in Tech with the belief that a more inclusive tech industry is better for both employees and employers. Backed by Google, DeepMind, Facebook and Microsoft, the nonprofit has helped 2,000 people typically underrepresented in tech businesses build skills and pursue career opportunities. He is passionate about innovation, diversity and inclusion, sport and technology. He holds an honors degree from Oxford University in geography and works with a number of businesses and charities on an advisory basis. He was also elected as a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts in 2017 and listed by Forbes in their 30 under 30 in 2020 as recognition for his work that he has done in the nonprofit sector. Ashley Ainsley, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Woo! Um, <laughs> with an introduction like that, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, how's it all going? Yeah, really good. It is an absolute pleasure having you on the show and speaking to you. Your history and background is absolutely fascinating. Everything that you're doing is super exciting. I'm a huge fan of all your work. You, you can tell I'm a massive, massive fanboy. Um, you're you're building a fascinating career in technology and diversity and inclusion, but you studied geography at university. Did you ever think that your career would have ever panned out in the way that it has when you were at university? I think one of the things that I learned at university was actually like you can do an element of career planning and an element of kind of like forecasting to the future and 
there's two paths really you can stick to that really rigidly and you know like i know loads of people who are like i'm going to be a corporate lawyer and you know here they are three years later corporate lawyer and i'm sure 10 years later they'll be partners or you can kind of just float and kind of just see what happens and <laughs> and become comfortable with kind of knowing a bit less about how your career plans out and and i mean yeah i wouldn't have thought when i got my internship at google i would be doing what i'm doing now i didn't even think about you know a lot of the things that i do now but you know this is just where we end up and um yeah it's been an amazing journey and um i wouldn't i wouldn't change much of it at all so you mentioned the internship at Google. So you go from geography at Oxford University to being a business associate for Google in 2013. How did that come about? Great question. And often when I when I when I answer it, I say two words to people. Like, how did you get to Google from geography? I was like, I say two words: <laughs> Google Maps. And then people are like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like ultimately. You know, Google probably every year hires more non-engineers than engineers, or at least that's the trajectory of stuff that's happened. And behind every product is fantastic technology, of course. But, you know, there's a whole business behind it, making it happen, making it sell, making the strategy, the pricing, the, the reach, the go-to-market. You know, every, all of that needs people to make things happen. And that's effectively what I was doing. And I'm really, you know, when I got into Google, when I was applying, when I was interviewing, people were, you know, one of the questions on the Google interview thing is, what's your favorite Google product? And for me, I loved Google Maps. It was one of the reasons I became interested in technology. It's one of the reasons I... I, I love the company. I think it's an amazing product. And I think ultimately the geek in me, I, you know, I, I studied a bit of it in my dissertation and I could just talk about it really authentically. Mm. And that that's the connection. And ultimately, you know, if you're working in technology, especially around product, you want to have people who really like them, passionate and want to want to see those succeed. And I think that's mm. what I bring um, in, in, in a way which ultimately, I suppose, other people who are interviewing for the same position didn't. Take us into into Google. I mean, this is just my personal curiosity, but what's it like working there? I'd have to imagine that everyone there is super bright, super talented, just amazingly creative people, just the cream of the earth to a certain extent. (laughs) (laughs) Give us an, an insider's view as to what it's like working in Google. Intimidated much? And I'll caveat this slightly. So I don't currently work for Google, though Google are partners of my organization. When I was there back in 2013, as as you said, I met some amazing people, lots of lots of really well well qualified, smart people. It's a very international team in London as well, people from all around Europe and, and actually more broadly the world. Um, but not necessarily from some geographies. So and when I say that, I didn't meet any 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 Africans. I met maybe one South African actually, um, that I knew, but um, say so, you know, not that many black people, and mm. you know that was one of the reasons I set up Color in Tech actually, because um, you know through my experience in technology, I, I was in a fantastic organisation. There are people doing really interesting things. I mean, I think the culture at Google changed slightly, but certainly then it was still uh, a kind of a novel thing to be a Googler, and you know I suppose Google's probably doubled in size in terms of headcount since. But um, um, you know there was something quite 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 individual and special and unique and 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 exciting about that but um yeah i didn't see anybody who looked like me you know Mm. i went around the building maybe saw one or two people um a couple of them i'm still in contact with now but the reality is i would be on a whole floor and sometimes never see anybody who looked like me and Mm. for those who don't know what i look like i'm a i'm a young black man (laughs) so um so so yeah and ultimately that was that was a problem but it wasn't a problem unique to google i think if you look at any of the big tech companies out there 
the experience of many minorities would be similar and certainly back then too and that's one of the reasons why I was inspired to kind of see if I could open up the door and not because I was like oh well why do why does it matter what they look like some people say but for me it was actually what it said is that there was systematic in access to opportunity because the thing is I, I I was good and I got my role at Google but I know other people who who came from similar backgrounds who had the same ethnicity as me who would have also been fantastic and great and what mm. that said to me is that they didn't have the same access of opportunity to get in and that was echoed because people would whatsapp me ask me can I refer them what's it like here can I you know can I help them get it all these other things and I was like actually like all these people seem to be struggling it's not because they're not talented or they couldn't do a fantastic job it's because they didn't have the same privilege and access to opportunity that I had and that's what it was for me it wasn't like oh like I need to you know I'm, I'm hung up some sort of you know some sort of social activist although potentially I am now but it, it, it was like this is just wrong like there's amazing talent which is just not getting this opportunity and I'm hearing the corporates on one side say they want to have the best talent they want to have the cream of the crop and all of that stuff and it's like well you're not getting it so um uh, so you know that's that's where it came from really well let's talk about why why that is because we know that sort of less than one percent of the workforce in tech is black um you you were after google you were headhunted by a startup called Quibit, and you stayed there for almost three years as well. And you saw a very similar thing there, lack of diversity in, in tech. I think you were one of the only uh, black people in the in the company. Mm. Uh, I think there were around sort of 300 people-ish at the time as well. Yeah. Talk about, so expand on that then. Why are we seeing this lack of diversity in tech? And it's mirrored in many other industries as well. And what can be done about it? Because 2020 has put a spotlight on it. If, if, if there was never one on before? Yeah, so I mean, I suppose the first part of that question is the why and why do we see that happen? And I mean, I mean, there's lots of systemic reasons in society which are relatively well covered, um, but, you know, relate to like socioeconomics and, and um, systemic racism and lots of reasons why we don't necessarily see members of the black and actually other minority groups as well at the very helm of, of, of some of the organisations. Um, and that inaccess of opportunity, whether it be going to going to you know the best the best schools the best universities or ultimately knowing somebody who can get them an option into a role and especially with the startup ecosystem you know when we think about who gets business funding it's it's not the black community ultimately they 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 typically get less funds they typically have to spend longer fundraising mm. and don't get the same level of investment and ultimately so they're not necessarily creating the successful tech companies that we see of tomorrow um, for some of those reasons. But also when you think about how startups hire, they end up hiring friends and referrals and people that they know because that's sure. how they do it. And ultimately, if you're not in the room, then that, you know, that perpetuates itself. And, you know, when I was at Qubit, I think, you know, the proportion of black people in, in, in the building was about 1%. Mm. And, um, you know, here we are sat in the middle of central London. Like, it wasn't reflective of the, the office or the city or, the you know, the country even. Um, and it's not that, you know, black people couldn't do the role that I was doing. I was living proof that you didn't need to know too much to do a job. <laughs> uh, the reality is they weren't getting the opportunities. And that wasn't, you know per se just the fault of of qubit and um, you know it's an industry issue as well but you know that's that's where we were and the race is always well you know hire hire as quickly as you can and you know does this person know this person and that's kind of where it came from 
And then diversity in tech, I think, you know, there's a couple of issues. Even when you you have more diverse workforces, what we've seen is that attrition and retention rates are, are, are different depending on minority groups. And again, one of those one of those barriers that we see is that often people um, you know, share with us that they they feel tired. Like that whole like not being yourself, not bringing yourself to work, feeling like you have to, you know, code switch, as they call it, and, and do something different in order to feel like your place of work takes its toll. And people say, oh, well, come on, that's like, you know, like, it can't be that bad. It's fine. Like, you know, you don't, but, you know, there's lots of microaggressions. The fact that there are employee resource groups kind of speak to the fact that there is a common shared experience amongst different groups within organizations. And ultimately, you know, if people don't want to believe the anecdotal evidence, well, the statistics suggest that people leave. Um, and, um, you know, if, if ethnicity or race or people's experience of those things in the workplace didn't matter so much, then you would assume that you wouldn't get different rates because of those things or in, in spite of those things. Mm. So there's a myriad of factors. I think part of it comes to the industry hasn't been um, as inclusive enough. It hasn't worked hard enough to find talent from different pools. Um, I think uh, ultimately incentives and metrics are, are, are done badly. I think, you know, if you think about how recruiting works, people are effectively looking to recruit um the easiest people to find i.e if you're an external recruiter you want the people who charge the most because you get a bigger proportion of their salary who are easiest to find so you don't have to spend more time doing it than you need to and those typically tend to be straight white men and for a variety of different reasons we don't find minorities you know get paid the same or are asked for the same sort of similar amounts of money it's not necessarily because of the qualification levels because, you know, the, the data suggests that when that's taken into account, there are still pay gaps. And ultimately, um, those are the people who end up getting put forward. And there hadn't been enough effort from companies to say, well, we're not going to accept homogenous shortlists. Hmm. We're not going to, to do that. And it was typically like, well, we need to hire somebody. So it means that Joe Bloggs is going to be the person who gets that. And when that happens in mass, you end up with a technology industry like the one that we have today. Hmm. So let's talk about this then in more detail, because you co-founded, the reason why you co-founded Colour in Tech with your co-founder, Dion McKenzie, with the belief that a more inclusive tech industry is better for both employees and employers. It's backed by Google, DeepMind, Facebook and Microsoft. Mm. And you've helped over 2000 people, typically in underrepresented communities, build skills and pursue uh, career opportunities. What are those big technology companies that we mentioned earlier doing? How are they supporting you? And how are they changing themselves internally to make sure that they do have a more representative workforce? Yeah, so I mean, there's a couple of examples. If I kind of work backwards, how they change themselves internally. So I'm very excited to have Facebook as a partner. And they've, you know, they, they've put a lot of intentional work into this. They've set themselves up as an org where they have people who are dedicated to working on building a more inclusive Facebook. And actually, people say, well, hold on, what does that mean? But it means they literally have people on the ground who are employed to think about making sure people feel that they have a sense of belonging, that their policies are inclusive, and that that's realised in practice. And we work with a number of those people who do that. But that's really big, because actually, you know, even now there are still organisations of of similar scale to companies like Facebook, which don't have the same organisational structure in place. And what that means is ultimately inclusion becomes a nice-to-have or a side project, but not something that's intentional. 
It's not something that's built about by design, and therefore it's always subpar ultimately. So, you know, organisations like Facebook are doing a hell of a lot to make sure their people feel included and that they're doing that. Mm. And then also then they've gone a step further and they've actually looked externally and said, look, we're not going to solve all this problem inside our own walls. We're going to go and work with organisations. And yes, Colin Tech's a beneficiary, but for example, I've got a friend called Kiki who who, who runs the BYP network mm. um, and 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 they, they they work and partner with her as well. And like the, the idea is that they will look outside of their own capabilities and said, well, actually, how do we connect with new communities, new talent, new folks outside of what we can do what we know and who we are in order to bring talent and 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 try and work with the communities to to ultimately talk to them and you know and 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 really work together with with people in the community who are doing things to support that community and what does that mean in reality well they sponsor us and yes there's like financial capital there but what that means is ultimately we can do our work I mean, we can keep our lights on and ultimately we can go and produce and work with with our community, with our members to, to, to do things which empower and support and help them. And that can be running development programs. One of the things that we ran with Facebook, again, as I use an example, is, is a program called Development Art. And we said to Facebook, why don't we take all that fantastic leadership training that all the directors and the VPs get? And actually, let's let's take that to the community. Let's help that portion of mid-managers, senior individual contributors, there's people who should be directors and VPs. Let's take what you what you give to the people who aren't those who aren't getting that. Let's take that to the community. Let's upskill them. And then you've got your next generation of tech leaders. And actually let's let's do that. And that's beneficial for the community. It's totally free of charge. Um, you know, no one has to pay to pay to have that. Great, look, if Facebook do a fantastic job, um, then people want to go and work at Facebook because people will say, well, actually, Facebook's an organisation where I feel like I can be be myself and do my best work. Sure. Um, but again, that's got to come with intention, time, and planning. And the team at Facebook have been amazing to work with on that. On that, and um, and and we're we're seeing results through that. And um, you know, that's that's kind of a good a good case study, a good example of what they're doing and how they've really gone gone beyond what they could have done in order to do that it would have been very easy like we see lots of organizations talk about everything that they're doing internally mm. and, and and just pat themselves on the back for that to be fair sure so this isn't just podium fodder it's not just something that sells you know that that, that looks good on headlines and, and and pr press releases this is something that facebook are genuinely deeply uh, interested in and are looking to sort of change the culture from the inside out because we see a lot of organizations, as you said earlier, that well-meaning have a lot of rhetoric, a lot of podium fodder, but it's not really backed up with any solid action. Yeah, and I would even argue as much as for some organizations, I wouldn't even say it's well-meaning um, because yeah. I feel like it's actually very harmful to do that. Like I, I, would not, I wouldn't say that's well-meaning at all because... It, if effectively you're 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 doing a lot of stuff to like look like you're doing stuff, but you don't actually sure. really mean it. It has no cut through the org. It doesn't change anybody's actual experiences when when applying or when getting in or or when they're there or when they're not there. Then then who does that actually help? It offers maybe a short term kind of nice PR story and brand thing, but ultimately consumers society will start to see through it the results the data will present itself and it won't suggest a lot of meaningful change and ultimately that probably has more 
enduring damage to an organization because sure. if they're not actually seeing the results of some of this pr worthy stuff then people be like well is any of it working and that's probably damaging to the external cause because people might lose faith in measures and there's also damage into the organization because they're not they're not feeling the benefits of a more diverse workforce so, so let's talk about Black Tech Fest. You've just finished Black Tech Fest 2020, which had over 90 innovators, technologists, educators, and changemakers who explored culture and innovation over a week of events. Um, absolutely amazing uh, event that you that you pulled together. You had speakers like Caroline Dinej, the Minister of, of State for Digital and Culture, Karen. Blackett from WPP, John Mindenhall, co-founder and CEO of of 21st Century Brand, just a a stellar lineup. What was that experience like and what were the main takeaways for you? Yeah, so Black Tech Fest, it was amazing to see it come together because it actually started out of the vision. And for those who don't know the story, it wasn't like, oh, Black Lives Matter happened, let's do something. (laughs) Um, Like, actually, it came from last year's Black History Month because we were like, frankly our, our experience last year wasn't that great and we we're like let's actually produce something which is far more exciting which we're far more proud of and actually we can we can put some energy into let's actually get fantastic people from across the sphere talking about what they pay, pay to do not just so what do you mean by that just just to interrupt yeah. you last year's uh sort of <laughs> black history month wasn't wasn't that good what do you mean by that why was it not a great experience because we're in october now it's Black History Month again. Expand on that. You know, basically the story started is like myself and a, a range of um, of black professionals were actually invited to to Downing Street, and it was fantastic. We got the photo outside the door. You know, I'm sure my mom's proud and all of that jazz. But unfortunately, <laughs> what happened was, you know, ultimately we felt that we were spoken at, and then took a few photos, and then we were asked to leave. We didn't really feel it was meaningful engagement, and you know, I, I'm sure the intentions from the folks there were nice. It's like let's have a nice celebration let's just you know celebrate black history month it probably wasn't expected to be anything more than that but you know we felt sad because ultimately you know there are great communities who are putting on fantastic events and doing things that that people didn't attend that day because they're out down the street and you know we were like well actually rather than let's just be negative and bash them look at least they got the people there at least they tried to do something <laughs> we were like well no let's actually produce a, a, a really great platform where we can showcase the best work of the black community doing mm. the best most exciting things but you know not not making it a political thing let's just have people talking about what they get paid to do let's have people talk about issues that really matter in technology and as you said we had the minister there let's actually invite government to join us in that celebration ultimately and let's actually use the opportunity to do something really exciting innovative and new in a way which we can actually engage on our terms so to speak and there's not about an awesome with them but what it's saying is actually like isn't that better to do isn't it far more exciting when everybody's celebrating things really infused really excited talk about the next generation talk about why these things matter and that's what caroline was saying on our opening address and like that for me is a far better way for us to engage because it then says well these are the sorts of initiatives that that the black community is doing these are the sorts of initiatives that we want to get behind and support these are the sorts of conversations that we want to be having like let's let's change that narrative and let's let's bring the conversation to to society 
community and let's own that narrative so to speak and and that's that's a far better method of engagement for us where we where we feel we're really ultimately celebrating black history in in a in a new way so it's not to it's not to government bash it's it's more to say that you know last year it was nice i'm very happy to get that invite i'm sure i'll go back again if invited but <laughs> i would rather I would rather, frankly, as we did, host our own event and invite them to come and actually have a great celebration of it. For me, that's far more powerful and, and exciting and ultimately impactful for the community because out of Black Tech Fest, well, what's happened, a lot of people have networked and it's only happened over the last couple of days. But, you know, I'm hoping people will be able to get jobs out that, open meaningful business connections. There are VCs there, there are employers there. And ultimately, that's going to be far more impactful and transformational for our community if we can do that and have the conversations then just have the conversations and not create the futures and the pathways that we want to do and ultimately that's what you know government wants to do as well they want people to be successful um so so let's so let's do something where people can be successful so is the plan to do this every october in in black history month um i'm sure if not for covid19 this would have been a physical event as well um what is the plan for black tech fest moving forward well, this is the thing. Actually, I don't want this to feel like a movement in time. I didn't want to say it to all the speakers. Great, saying see you next year. Like, for us, we actually kept some stuff out of Black Tech Fest because we've got to seed it throughout the year. I'm still going to be having these conversations in March, April, May. We want this to feel like a legacy piece. We're actually, yeah, great. We've had some conversations about algorithmic bias or africa's ai ecosystem but why you know that was just the primer that was a start like how we how we invited more people to that conversation how are we showing off more people who've got things to contribute to that how are we continuing that how are we creating content around that which actually says there is a massive body of work going on here which is super interesting super exciting and wow i didn't know about that that's what we're doing between now and really next year so yeah we do want to do another one next next year and you know hopefully covid goes away and we can come together in person but that's that's not going to stop our our efforts for doing stuff in the meantime you know outside of that and that's super super important for us to to be doing um you know we would have failed on our mission if you only hear about black tech fest this time next year and we've got some great partners like tiktok like wpp which we'll be working with in order to make sure that that happens Hmm. So so talk about some of the main takeaways for you then. I mean, you had 90 speakers, uh, a world-class list of, of people in, in attendance. What have been some of the feedback from the, from the event so far? What are the main takeaways from you? Talk about some of your experiences. Yeah, so the feedback's been really positive. I think a lot of people have um, have individually dropped us messages. And I mean, we're doing some of the analytics on it now. But I mean, over 7,000 conversations happened on the platform. If you think about this as a virtual event, that is huge. These are people actually booking time, talking with each other. Sure. You know, that's amazing. We had, you know, some of our sessions had over 10,000 people view them. Amazing. Like, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't something I promoted on a billboard or, 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 or you know, put put... 10,000 pounds of ad spend behind like these were just people who were viewing in to have an interesting an interesting insight to some of the conversations we were having so you know from from the data point of view it's really it's been really great and the conversations point of view and those are some of the things obviously we want to see pull through as I said I want to see people get jobs and connect and funding and all these things out of that there are lots of opportunities that came up for example there's a pitching competition with one of our 
our, our, I suppose, our friends in the ecosystem, Accelerate Her running. You know, there's 25,000 pounds worth of ad credits and 5,000 pounds worth of cash there. Equity free, that's an opportunity for someone to go and accelerate their business. Mm. Like Newton Venture Program was launched at, at Black Tech Fest. That is an opportunity, again, free for 50% of the participants to get the best training from London Business School, from Local Globe, that you can get to be in VC. Like that is an opportunity that was created directly from there. TikTok fast tracked applicants from Black Tech Fest through their early careers opportunity. If you went to the booth and said to TikTok you're interested in the role, your application would have been faster. That is creating opportunities for folks. Like Amazing. that's 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 those are some of the outcomes and the things that we that we we achieved. But it wasn't you know none of those are kind of in tech announcements. And we did have our own our rice programs open. So for those who are interested in entrepreneurship, do watch out. But you know these are opportunities which I spoke about, which other people are doing because that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to create pathways and chances for people to do things, and and that's the impact piece like as i said like yeah great everyone felt good and had a nice celebration and that in itself is powerful because again it weren't happening before was it like like this this celebration this is this is your biggest celebration of black technology Hmm. and i I challenge anyone to show me a bigger one and we can do it bigger next year but ultimately that's important and we want to role model people next year i want to have like more vc panels with black vcs on it but you know the sad thing is i think there's one female black general partner of a venture capital firm that we know of in the uk uh, and that was paula and she was at black tech fest like you know i want to have more of those conversations i want to have more more role models like paula on the stage but we've got to create them so let's 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 create that opportunity on that venture program that i spoke about to try and get people there like that's you know that's the first thing i want to have fantastic folks from around industry next year round but you know we've got to do our part in order to make that happen so you mentioned that this is the biggest event uh, celebrating black tech in Europe. You're on a mission yourselves to actually make Europe the most inclusive tech hub in the world. How will you know when you've achieved that goal? <laughs> um, you know, it's, a, it's a very good question, honestly. If I was running like some sort of venture-backed business and it'd right. be like, tell me and I know the exit. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's got to be quite a hard thing to quantify because the reality is I think in all pockets there will still be bits of work to be done. I don't, I don't know if there is, a, if, there is if, if it is possible, but what we're going to try and do is do that. And how will we know if we're getting there? Well, we'll know because we'll look at the data from companies and the data will say, well, actually, you know, the the, the mix and the proportions of people who work for them reflect the places where they are, reflect the customer bases that they have. And the data right there isn't that. That's when we know from the diversity point of view that we're getting there. But how do we know if people actually feel included, if they're making the decisions, if they're powerful? Well, you know, that will take a little bit more conversation, a bit more work will be harder to explicitly quantify. Um, But that will be told through stories, stories which we'll be hearing at Black Tech Fest. As I said, we put people on stage who are just doing what they do and getting paid to do what they do and doing that. Like when we can tell millions of those stories every single day will be when we know we have people at the decision making tables doing fantastic things. Um, and um, and yeah, look, like, uh, you know, you've got to have a big lofty ambition and that's kind of what we're building towards. But 
uh, I definitely know that there'll be some challenges along the way. And you know, why stop at Europe? I want the world to be more inclusive. Sure. Well. I don't care if you're in Asia or Australia or Africa. Of course I do. Um, you know, we just started with where we are based really and that's you know that's don't bite off more than you can chew i'm not best placed to work on inclusion in some of those places there'll be other people probably better placed so so how do we work with them in the future so just to have an idea just to give people listening an idea as to what what you're involved in and what you do you're involved in business development securing partnerships over a hundred thousand dollars uh program design impacting thousands of people hiring recruiting building a large team and supporting the organization um events organization hundreds of attendees and and ten thousand plus pounds in budgets conference speaking uh you speak at events in america spain the uk turkey most recently as well Mm -hmm. you're involved with companies such as goldman sachs hsbc facebook just go down the list when do you get a chance to sleep? Honestly, over the last three months, I've asked myself that many times. <laughs> <laughs> no, so there's a couple of things. First of all, I'm I'm very blessed to have an amazing team that I work with as well. Um, it's one that I'm very proud of because in a way, you know, I've hired them and I'm growing with them. And um, like, uh, like this wouldn't have been possible without a lot of those people as well. And sure. You know, as, I think as a leader, you want to hire people better than yourselves at things. And, and you know, if you do that, you, you stand a chance, you, right? The rising tide helps everybody. Yeah. So, and I'm, you know, I'm proud my team's diverse. We've got people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, and actually it's majority female, hmm. um, which I'm very conscious of as a, as a man leader as well. I want to empower women in, in this world too. Um, when do I sleep? Well, I think it's really important for those who know me personally, I, I, go on holiday a lot or at least I travel a lot some of it's not a holiday because I still work when I'm abroad many times but I like to do that because it gives me a new perspective it challenges me it forces me to go and do something and really value my time it forces me to say like if I'm abroad do I really want to do this call do I need to do this call do I want to do this call like all those things become super important November is a time which I I, I, I basically go on a bit of a retreat I take off a little bit of time I often go somewhere with a nice Caribbean coastline, although that might be a bit of a problem this year, sure. but you never know. Um, we'll see where I end up. I promise I'll end up somewhere. I just can't tell you where yet. Um, <laughs> but no, and I do that to reset and to do those things. And ultimately, you know, I need to work on that. I think my mental health is something I've been very acutely conscious about. And, you know, working and doing this thing has not come without sacrifice. Um, I've probably lost relationships as a result of some of the work that I do. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm very, focused on trying to keep a good work-life balance and um, traveling is certainly a, a key thing in terms of how I try and manage myself as a leader as well. Actually, I could speak to you all day. This could be a very, very long podcast on another day, but uh, we're, we're running out of time. Final question before we get into our favorite questions at the end of the interview. 2020 has been a very strange year for many reasons. What impact has the killing of George Floyd had and the subsequent reaction and the willingness and desire to change for many of the largest companies in the world and also sort of smaller companies as well. The question I want to ask you is, are you optimistic? Yeah, so I think I have to be a glass half full person. So I think the, the few quick things I'll say is that there's been a massive groundwell of of interest in one, the work that we do and support from the work that we do. Folks like Google Org have been fantastic in in supporting our work and we've got, uh, you know, a few grants and, and that ultimately helps. You know, in order for us to do what we need to do, we need to keep our lights on and, and part of that 
is finance and being able to do that it means that we can have a disproportionate impact for an organization of our size and that's that's been good and there are more and more organizations who are warming up to that i'm optimistic because i kind of need to be <laughs> um but also like i think a lot of the organizations not just funds but systematically and systemically are now asking okay well how do they make change what do they need to do we've got some fantastic new partners organizations like like ebay and arm who are now working with who are really deeply thinking about you know both from remote work in terms of what they do how do they become more inclusive more diverse teams and employers and that's amazing and we can't wait to work with them on that journey um so yeah i am optimistic i think that the impact of it is it's certainly supercharged a lot of conversations and therefore supercharged a lot of attention and that's good i think the challenge will be to maintain that Again, Black History Month, great, but like as I said last year, the sad thing was that you know by by March, April, you know it was all COVID. No one was talking about the importance of Black history. Um, so, so how do we keep this conversation going in six months' time, in nine months' time? How you know when next year's budgets get scrutinised, do we make sure that this program doesn't get scrapped? Like it's those sorts of things which we have to keep going on. But you know we have to keep banging the drum and we have to keep it high in levels of public consciousness and we have to have to have those. Conversations and not everyone will agree with everything I say or we do, but in a way that's good. I want vitality in the conversation because you know what it means. It means people have to come up with their own opinions, and you know those people want to work with us. Great, let's work and let's let's do some things. And those people who don't um, would love to have that conversation because that's ultimately what's going to keep this top of mind for lots of people. Mm. Well, we don't have the biggest drum in the world at Agency Diamasters, but we'll definitely be banging it for you. So in any way that we can support, uh, I think what you're doing is absolutely fascinating and fantastic, and it needs to be celebrated a lot more. Let's get into our, our favorite questions. These are the questions that we ask all of our guests. So I'm excited to ask you some of them as well. Um, the man behind the brand sort of questions. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Ooh, um, <laughs> I remember. Start easy. Yeah, no, I remember when I um, when I was at school. I'll try to be quick. And I was doing a geography test, and I I thought I was going to get um, like a score on it. I didn't, and um, I I was a sore loser. And rather than pay the bet out, it's like a five pound bet. Rather than just give a five pound note, I went to the bank and paid the guy in pennies because um, <laughs> I was so bitter about yeah. losing but what that meant is like I was like no work harder and be better yeah. um, next time don't have to do that again <laughs> and you know what when I did my A-levels I got 100% on my geography test so nobody beat me <laughs> um, so there we go work hard <laughs> love it love it the mentors question tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about entrepreneurship the way you think about tech the way you think about your own career development tell us about some of your favorite mentors yeah um, so some people say oh like you know do you, do you have to see it to believe it and in a way like i don't because in my industry mm. there's not a lot of people to see at the top who are doing <laughs> things if i didn't believe it i'd have a lot of problems sure i i was fortunate that i met a really great guy when i was when i was applying to to google actually a guy called oliver baum who who did mentor me and, and effectively helped support me when i was getting the opportunity to apply to google and um uh, he has definitely had a disproportionate impact on my career development as a result of 
really it was those three or four months that he was helping me maybe actually six when i think about it so yeah i owe a great level of gratitude and thanks to him and he's still a nice guy still at google still still chat every now and then and um and i, I think ultimately what he did is he encouraged me to 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 not be held back by preconceptions i didn't think that i was going to get a role at google i didn't think google even had roles or positions and stuff for me and all of us like no why not you can apply like I, I, if i can do it you can do it and actually that was super important so i do believe in the in the in the power of having mentors and sensible conversations and people pushing you to to do more and and he was a black guy white guy no actually he's a white german guy huh so this is the thing it's like in a way having having what uh, i'm not always a fan of this terminology but allies having people who are there who who you wouldn't necessarily think would say that, yeah, bang that drum and say, actually, no, like, actually, just because you're black, like, yeah. for me, yeah. like, you are great to do this role, and I think you could do it. Like, that is super powerful yeah. because you really need those advocates when you're not in the room talking about you and, and, and backing you and believing in you. Regardless of who it's coming from. Exactly. The pyramid is like that. And um doesn't mean it's right. doesn't mean I like it necessarily. But in a way, I do. Because if it's full of people like Oliver, then great. We're moving in a good direction. Hmm. So that adage of, what is the adage? Uh, you referred to it earlier. Uh, you have to see it to believe it. Or um, there's another term that's coined. I'm failing uh, to bring it to mind now. But it's um, something to do see, with the you fact You can't be that... it? I don't know. Yeah, so something to that mm. effect you don't necessarily go along with that because that's actually something that's in popular uh communication and consciousness today the you know the fact that we need to see other people that look like us um in senior levels in in organizations to be able to envisage our our own selves there you don't necessarily go along with that talk to talk about that because that's that's really interesting yeah like basically throughout my life i've i, ha- I kind of have had an absence of like i suppose senior role models certainly in the the black community at the top of organizations and i know like fantastic people like agent joseph have been there doing doing amazing things for the community so I, I it's not that i doubt that but i've never found myself driven by seeing people and being like that could be me or because i don't see someone like that at the top of an organization mm-hmm. thinking that i can't get there the way that I've always thought about things, and it goes back to that math, that, that geography test. If I'm the best me, I will get to what I want to do and want to be. So really the driver for me is like, not whether I can see it to believe it or like, if it's not there, it's just like, I need to be the pioneer then. If I'm going to be the first, let me be the first. And that's how I need to go about doing it. Yeah. So, but I'm very conscious that's a very me thing. And maybe that's what makes me me. Like I'm, I'm very driven in that way. But um, I'm conscious yeah. that that's not the case for everybody. And ultimately having more role models is, 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 is helpful for people in society. I want yeah. to see more diversity, not just yeah. for the optics, but because it's good. Ultimately, I, I understand why people say, well, can it happen if they don't see it? So... <laughs> um so i want them there but just in terms of how i'm driven if if i don't see someone there i'm like well fine i'll be the first yeah i was the first in my family to go to university i was the, first, I was the only black person in the country to study geography in my year i'll be the first i'll be the pioneer if no one's wow. going to do it it's not going to stop me from doing it amazing love it love it the book's question this is my personally favorite question by the way so i hope you have some some good ones to bring yeah this is the question that we get most emails and linkedin messages about as well so no pressure favorite books fiction non-fiction whatever what are your favorite books 
Yeah, so my favourite book, well, there's there's two books which come to mind. One is a story, it's actually a, a truth thing. It's um, it's on, it's called Bad Blood. It's by a guy called John Carreyou. It's on the... Um, Love it. Uh, yeah, it's on Elizabeth Holmes yeah, and everything. Nicola H- Holmes, yeah. Like, what a, like, Brilliant. it was, li- I remember going into work one day <laughs> and I was like, before I start, I just need to finish this chapter. <laughs> like, I sat at my desk and I was like... Page turn. <laughs> yeah, so I love that. And a yeah, book called John Jones and Steel as well by Jared Diamond, amazing book. Guns, Germs and Steel, ah, about the origins of civilization. Yeah, where did we come basically. from? Why are we here? Yeah, why? Yeah, fantastic book. I had to read that. I had to do the audiobook of that. It's a pretty yeah. heavy, pretty heavy book. But um, yeah, both really good recommendations. Give us, give us one more. Um, you know what? One book that I really liked when I was going in uh, school, and it's a mixture because I actually like both of them. And I see them in the same way. Um, Free Economics and the Undercover Economist. I love thinking about how things happen, what makes things work and how they go about. And they're quite, I suppose, old now. If I think about it, I was reading them over 10 years ago, but the lessons are still the same. Sure. Fascinating books. Anyone can read them up. You don't have to be an economist in order to understand. Yeah. But actually you come out of there being like, yeah, wow, that that's that's cool. That's interesting. Tim Hart is a great author. Yeah, definitely. Really good recommendations. What's the most interesting thing that people don't know about your background? Depends how much people Google me. One <laughs> thing I will tell people is I'm a qualified football referee and I have been for the last 13 years. Wow, okay. That's interesting. So pretty much most Sundays you'll find me annoying a group of uh, 22 men, um, <laughs> which is definitely not an enviable task. But um, if you like football and you can't play it, it's the best way to stay close to the game. <laughs> you can't win in that scenario. You're always wrong. Either some everyone hates you. Either one side hates you or the other. You can't win. How do you... How do you sleep at night being a referee? You know what? The referee always wins. Um, <laughs> there's always someone happy. So as long as you walk away thinking you've had a good day, they don't care. Yeah. No regrets, That's in a it. Good point. If you accept someone's <laughs> going to be unhappy, then you really stop caring whether they're happy or not. Love it. Love it. <laughs> what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? I've I've Googled you, actually. You're a very fit guy. Oh, thanks. He's fine with the Instagram. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing? I need, I need some uh, gym tips. What do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? You know what? That's one of the key things. I started to go to the gym for my mental health. I remember I was working at Cuba at the time. I was working really tough hours. It was really long. And actually, they subsidized gym. And I was like, let me just go. And actually, although I spent an hour in the gym every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what I found is that I spent an hour less working, but I got the same amount of stuff done. My productivity improved. My mental health improved. I became an addict. And during lockdown, I missed gym more than I missed my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Does that say something about your friends or does that say something about gym? Uh, Let's say it says something about gym. (laughs) I mean, I love my friends, but like, I can still WhatsApp them. I could have WhatsApp the weights. You can't WhatsApp the weights. (laughs) Love it. Okay, move on quickly. Hope your friends aren't listening to this. Amazon Prime or Netflix? What are you watching or streaming these days? That's good. You know what? That's the one. That's that's a chink in my armor. I actually don't really watch a lot of things, to be honest. Really? Like, if I had a choice, I would tell Amazon to half my Prime subscription and just get rid of the Prime <laughs> movies. They message me all the time telling me to watch stuff, and I'm like, I don't have the time, and I don't want to. I find yeah. sitting down for three hours, two hours and watching a film incredibly difficult to do. I don't have the attention span and I always think I could be doing something more productive with my time. 
So, yeah, like yeah. it's a struggle, okay. but unfortunately, I can't really answer that one. So, so what do you do in your free time? What do you do in your downtime? Are you more of a reader? You go for walks, you gym, reflection, meditate? I mean, I do some analysis and I was like, what spare time? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that assumes I have some. Um, so, the question is, what do I do? Like, yeah, no, I mean, if you think about it, on a normal week, I suppose if you say, oh, you've got five hours, would you watch a film or something? I suppose I spend those that time in the gym. Mm. That's that's one of the things that I'll be doing. I, I to be fair, I watch football. Sport's a big thing for okay. me. I do love um I do love to watch that. So for my sins, I'm an Arsenal, fan, an Arsenal fan and I'll, yep. I'll watch them. Okay. Um, and that's 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 emotionally draining. So after that it I'm probably is. just wallowing self pity. Oh, gotta <laughs> go lie down. <laughs> um okay i love it um by the way i'm an aston villa fan and i'm loving the season oh, right of course now, you are. Out of <laughs> i'm just come on the premier league title also, I love um, you when you beat off <laughs> yes yes actually i've i've, I've gotten i've got a, a very close friend who's also an arsenal fan and i love it anytime we get uh we do uh, something on arsenal but it doesn't happen very often to be honest it's very few and far between um Last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a millennial or a young person, this must happen to you all the time, who wants to start their career in a tech company? Um, what advice do you give her? You know what? This will be really bold. Go and find an interesting startup and go and, go and message the head of HR, the head of recruitment, and just get yourself in the door. You will learn more at a startup in a year, 18 months, two, two and a half, wherever it is, don't stay longer than three. But you'll learn you'll learn more there in those times than you will in five years of corporates. And the reason why I say that, I know I designed part of the KPMG grad scheme when I was working there as a consultant. And you can have an interesting career there, but I learned a lot more and I was more senior as a result of spending time at a startup. Mm. Um, you have to do everything. <laughs> you see everything. Yeah, you have yeah. to do it. You know, if it's not broke, there's probably something wrong. It probably is broken. Yeah. You don't know it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, go and fix it. Go and learn how to deal with clients. Like, the learning at a startup is amazing. Go do yeah. that. And then whether it's venture, big tech, you name it. Love it. Coming out of a startup will put you in a better position than most folks to get that next role. Great stuff. And my final question, Ashley, what is it you know about inclusion and diversity in tech today that you wish you knew when you were studying geography all those years ago? That there are more active allies than you would have assumed. Like, a lot of people have this, like, concept of, I suppose, like, imposter syndrome. And I've had it so many times. You walk there and you're like, should I be there? Am I here? Like, do they know why I'm here? Like, reality is, actually, a lot of people want to back you. And actually, yeah. your diversity can be a great difference of strength. People want to hear your voice. Mm. And actually, there are so many allies, so many people want you to succeed, actually, in a way, because of your diversity, that you should really harness that and, and use that to your advantage where you can that's a really great place to end final part of that so you felt um you know an inadequate in a room you've walked into a room and sort of felt that you haven't haven't belonged i i, I would feel for someone like you who is you know quite uh, motivated quite conscientious is a referee who's used to getting abuse from both mm. sides you have to be quite headstrong yourself you have also felt intimidated being in those rooms being the only person of color um, that's really interesting to hear. 
Yeah, and in a way, refereeing kind of teaches you to deal with that because yeah. <laughs> even if you're wrong, you know to keep going how to persevere. <laughs> like even if you're not wanted, you know, well, I'm here and I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. I've got the whistle, right? Yeah, but like, no, I think it's natural. Again, even when I was at Oxford, you get to places and you question like, like, should I be here? Is this for me? And it's not because I wasn't good. Like, I had good grades. It's not like I didn't get my role at Google on Merit and I was good. But you kind of question, was I? Or, you know, am I here for some sort of quota? Or, like, you know, like, should I be here is basically the question. And ultimately, I always back myself and say, well, actually, to be honest, I'm pretty good. Like, I should be here. But having those feelings is a problem because it, it engenders a sense of kind of that imposter syndrome and ultimately that's when you don't have a sense of belonging where you feel like you don't belong in an organization and that's what I certainly want to strive to where a place where everyone feels like they belong where they're sat because they do and and that's what that's what we're striving towards so yeah I think it's inevitable coming into the corporate world as as a minority not to have those feelings at some point I think how can organisations, colleagues and stuff make sure people don't have those feelings for long enduring points of time is super important. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what the work that we do in trying to help companies think about inclusion ultimately. Ashley, thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. We have been speaking with Ashley Ainsley. He's currently the co-founder of Colour in Tech. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 100 conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales, marketing, tech and diversity. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Annie Barber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Christoph Blaschek is our booker slash project manager. Marianne Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Stay tuned for our stellar interview next week with Ryan Hall. He has been awarded top 10 agency status with the drums digital census while the drum listed him as the top 50 most influential people in mobile marketing he sold his agency to karamarama then accenture if you're interested in anything to do with sales and new business then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating but things are different i mean everyone was so like seriously focused about building a mobile app it was like you know sticking a flag in the sand like yeah we've got a mobile app so we're cool and i actually think that mobile web is much more important and you've got to make sure that your brand can surface in many other places you've got to get everyone behind your agenda we built the business we built a sustainable pipeline we worked hard to keep clients happy so they kept coming back we did well through referrals you know, we also knew how to get ourselves out there. So we pitched, we won. I mean, the rest is history. It was a match made in heaven. <laughs>